Hey, what's going on? I'm Jeremy Lee, and you are listening to episode 12 of Reading the Play, the show where athletes share their story and experiences about life and sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can hear other great stories by athletes. You can also find them on sportcalgary.ca. For more content, follow the Facebook page Reading the Play, and to get the latest news, including new episodes on the way, follow on Instagram at Reading the Play or myself at Legacy. In this episode, Calgary Dinos basketball player David Kapinga drops by Story Island to share his journey. Cap has had his sights set on NCAA Division I basketball from the get-go, and he even went down to the States for prep school to gain more exposure, only to see his dream being taken away. Left with no other options for Div 1, he heads back home as a walk-on for the Calgary Dinos. Thus began the fast ascension to starting point guard and then eventually leading his team to a national championship title in 2018. A lot of peaks, a lot of valleys, some crazy stories in here that you definitely don't want to miss out. If you haven't already heard, there will also be a movie made about David's story. That's pretty sweet. So make sure you follow the Walk On DOC on Instagram to get the latest content on that journey. Well, it looks like Cap's all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Very excited to have David Kapinga stop by Story Island today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You've had a heck of an off-season so far. You've been to Australia, you've been to Costa Rica, you've been to Germany. Anywhere else I'm missing? Uh, This summer, no. I mean, I was in Toronto for a little bit uh, watching the Crown League, but nothing special. What was the best trip for you? Uh, I'd have to say Australia. Just just the experience of uh, representing Canada and and uh, doing that with one of my best friends, my teammate also, Mombi. Uh, and then the friendship that I made from uh, from that trip, uh, I mean, I still speak to some of those guys right now. So that was a great experience. So David, right now you play for the Calgary Dinos, but your journey doesn't start there. It actually starts all the way across the world on the other side, yeah. the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah. yeah. What was life like growing up there? Um, honestly, I do not remember anything because it was the first four or five years of my life. So it's pretty much a blur right now. What do your parents tell you? Uh, they told me the situation was pretty bad. You had to make a lot of sacrifices, uh, kept moving around, um, village to village and, and just trying to find an opportunity to get out of the country so that we can live a better life. And, uh, I mean, I'm very happy that they succeeded, right? We went to a, a f- refugee camp in uh, Tanzania. And from there, we got picked up to go to uh, to Canada. So that was that was a huge blessing. And, and none of that would have been possible if uh, my parents didn't try to leave the country and, and get a better life for us. Where was the first stop for you in Canada? So funny thing. So I think from what they told me, we went from Tanzania to Ireland. We had a layover there. And then from... Uh, uh, Ireland to Ottawa, and that's where we landed. And then, um, funny thing, I remember that landing in Ottawa and getting picked up by uh, government um, workers, uh, you know, uh, social workers, whatever it is. Um, got picked up, and then they uh, they dropped us off at, at a motel, and uh, that's kind of where our journey began. And a hotel in uh, a motel. In Gatineau. Not even a hotel. Not even a hotel. <laughs> there was a pool, though. <laughs> there was a pool. Yeah, that's all that matters. Yeah. So Gatineau really was your first exposure to Canada, and 
immersing yourself in that Canadian culture or getting used to it. Sure, for sure. It kind of helped, though, that we came here around uh, August, July, if I remember well, in 2000. Not a Canadian winter. No, exactly. So I kind of had time to, um, how would I say that, kind of make friends a little bit. Uh, it, it wasn't like go to school right away, you know what I mean? So kind of had time to meet people. Um, I didn't have to freeze, you know, right away, like I said. Uh, and then and then we had we had a, not family, but my, my, my family, like there was other Congolese families in, in the area of Gatineau. So... Um, we kind of got to uh, meet them and and, and kind of get a head start, I guess, because some people come here and they have nobody. So It's yeah. nice to have that community already established exactly. as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. Living in Gatineau, that was really your first experience or exposure to basketball because of your uncle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he played a big, big part on, uh, in my love of basketball and, and uh, why I persevere, I think, um, through all the experiences, right through all the down, uh, he, uh, he would bring me and just make sh- made sure that um, it was fun from the beginning, right? Like sometimes kids get thrown in the fire right away, and then they just fall out of love with something, and they're like, "Oh, I don't like it," right? And they move on to the next next sport, next game, whatever it is. He really made sure that my first experiences of basketball were were like, "Wow, these guys are really like doing this." So. Uh, and, and then watching that and having that feeling as a kid, being like, I want to be like him when I grow up. It, it, it's huge, right? It's, it's very huge. What was it about the game, though, that initially piqued your interest or your first love? Honestly, I think, I think it was the speed of it. Uh, you, you just, it, it wasn't boring. You can't be bored watching basketball. Like, there's so many things that are happening all the time. So many highs, so many lows. Um, Even without the ball, right? Ex- exactly, right? So yeah. it, it was kind of crazy because as an African, you watch soccer, obviously, right? That's the big and sport then, back home. Yeah, 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 soccer. And then you, there's a lot of downtown sometimes with, with, with soccer, someone being on the ground, like things like that. Basketball, especially pick up, you know? It's, it's not like there's free throws on pick up or timeouts. It's it's boom, 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 boom. Who's next? Oh, won the game. Who's next? Game. I call game. Who's next? And like, that's that's what really attracted me. Hmm. That speed. In terms of your first experiences playing, how big of a part did your uncle play for you? So my uncle definitely started the love of the game for me. Uh, being in the gym with him, and it wasn't nothing too much. I mean, um, just just shooting around, like just just having fun. No no teams, nothing like that. Until I moved to Montreal, and then that's when I really I decided to join a team because. Uh, all my friends were getting girls, and they, they were the cool kids. So I was like, you know what? Like, they're doing something right, you know? So that's kind of why I decided to join the team uh, back in grade six. And I just remember telling myself, um, like, I want to I want to be like them. I want to I wanna be good like them. I want to be playing like them. And that's kind of where everything started, my motivation on, of like, hey, this is more than just, uh, like, a video game, you know? Like, like, I want to become better at this. And I've been on that journey since then. Who was the guy that you were trying to be like on the court? I remember both their names. So it was Luai Saidi and uh, Sobi Sultan. Uh, one of them plays at uh, Bishop right now uh, in Montreal. And then the other one plays, uh, or at least played for Vanier with, uh, with uh, Johnny Verone, actually. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. Was there an NBA player that yeah. you were like, yeah, that you were fascinated for with. sure. So because I love speed so much, 
the the guy that was that that was basically the the incarnation of speed uh, when I was growing up was Allen Iverson. Mm, yeah, and that's that's the guy that I watched. I had his shoes. I I wouldn't even have money, but I somehow found found a way to get his shoes. Um, I remember zipping them up too. I think they they were the AI threes, uh, black and blue. Uh, Those I would big. zip them up. Uh, so yeah, Allen Iverson definitely swagger and speed. So what was the basketball scene like for you growing up in Montreal and playing in school and outside of it? After I made a decision I wanted to become as good as those guys, I think I made a conscious decision of just like, okay, so from now on, anything that can help me with basketball, I will do. So I, I, I would be outside for pretty much the whole day. Uh, my mom wouldn't see me. Right, I'll play basketball, go to my friend's house, come back, play basketball. And it helped because we lived in those apartments where no one's staying home, no one has no one has money. So sports was the way of, of, of passing time for us, right? So uh, if you didn't see someone kids playing outside, it was it was because it was snowy, or it was rainy. <laughs> that was it. So uh playing basketball all the time there. And then uh, with the team I played with uh, that grade six year, we went all the way to the provincials. So when I went there, I saw someone else that was even better than the two guys that I that I knew. And he was he was pretty much the god in Quebec back then. Kevin Zabo, I don't know if you know him. Uh, he played um, uh, played Division One for San Diego State. I've heard of that name. Uh, yep. Played for San Diego State and then moved to uh, to another school. So that was that's one of uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Congolese, just like me, and he was just killing us in grade six. And and uh, that was again every time I saw someone better, it was like man, I still have work to do, but that excited me. Like but there's like a fire inside exactly, of you that makes you want to get better, right? Exactly. It was it was like okay, I'm good, I'm good. Oh, damn, I'm not that good. I guess like I gotta get better again, and and. That's that's uh, that was the joy for me of, of just learning basketball and playing basketball. So Montreal was really foundational for you in terms of developing your basketball game and seeing a lot of athletes that you know personally just thrive in the sport. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, basketball was kind of a currency back there. Uh, it was it was uh, it was you're good you're, you're good at it you're cool you know it, it was. It was you get buckets on someone, you can trash talk him, and, and and you're like kind of above him. So it was kind of cool because, like I said, like not much money in the neighborhood, anything like that. But basketball was a great currency of of how cool you are and how popular you are in, in the neighborhood. So, but somehow life takes you out to Calgary, and that's where you find yourself around 12 years old. Yeah, basically, my parents made a decision that uh, Montreal didn't have enough of work for them, uh, and then they heard that Calgary was booming. Uh, the oil industry and, and all that. So mom decided to come here, visit for a little bit, and uh, she liked it. So she brought us back back to Calgary. Did she do some recon work for you about the basketball scene? <laughs> no, <laughs> she didn't care. <laughs> she didn't care about that. So what was that adjustment like for you moving to a new Canadian city and trying to get established in Calgary and trying to figure out your way through the basketball scene here? Honestly, it was it was probably one of the toughest out of any of the moves that we made as a family. Cause um, I honestly didn't. I've never stayed in one school in the same school uh, until I came to Calgary. 
So that that extra movement, and not only just that, but you got to remember, we're going from Quebec, which is French, to Calgary, and that's English, right? So now I lost my friends, right? Um, And now I have to make new friends, but yet I can't communicate with them, right? So... It, it was really tough, and that's that. Uh, during that moment, I I became really close to my little brother. I mean, we were close, but then it was just like me and him against like the rest of the world, just because. I mean, we couldn't talk to nobody else. So yeah, it was just like we had, he was kind of the only one that was in your situation. Exactly. So it was kind of just both of us going to shoot outside, and and then it, it's tough sometimes living in an immigrant household because, like you asked, uh, did your mom? try to check for any basketball stuff for you and it's like no that's not the priority uh and even when we moved here if if i didn't come to her and said hey and i, I want to do this basketball thing uh at this school she she wasn't going to bring it up or anything like that so um it was tough at the beginning which is why they kind of pushed us in the in the french school when once school started it got a little easier kind of made friends uh people that lived here right uh and then that's when you start getting connected with, hey, there's this club here, CYDC, there's this, you know, thing here. And then that's when uh, I was able to go to my parents and be like, hey, I want to play basketball. And they're like, play basketball for who? And then and then I could come with information and then, then it was up to them to make a decision, right? But until I went to school, there was no way for me to find out where to play basketball or anything like that. Did you start out playing at the Calgary Youth Development Center at CYDC? Is that where you first started getting immersed in the basketball scene here in Calgary? Um, I actually started with CMBA. Um, I I actually can't even remember how I got connected there. I I think, oh, yeah, here. If you Google Calgary basketball, it's probably the first thing that comes up, right? So that's why I started with that. Uh, And then there I made a couple friends. And uh, it was funny because I started playing for them. Uh, this I can't remember the name of the club, but CNBA is just kind of association, right? Um, play for this particular team in the Northeast, close to Forest Lawn, and I would play with them and I would beat them, and I'm like, man, I'm nice, I'm nice, right? Like this is this is what the city has to offer. Like, yeah, it's, I'm good, I'm good. And then, and then surely uh, the following year, I heard about CYDC, and I'm like, let's 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 try it out. Like, apparently it's the best they got. But I've been killing the league the whole time, so I should be good. Go there and get my my butt kicked, and uh, and that's when I realized once again, you're not the best, and there's another level to go to. So that was that was a good experience for me, though. I think uh, just kind of first experiencing being the best, and then realizing okay, there's still some work to do. I, I think everybody should go through that, obviously. And, and the kids at CYDC were they around the same age, or were, they, were you playing with some older kids? Um, there were some older kids, but they're, most of them were my age, my my grade. Yeah. So, um, yeah, played one of those guys, uh, called him the main child, uh, Tony. That's like, my, that's like my best friend. And um, I just remember uh, we went to Talisman once, and uh, I was like, hey, let's play one-on-one. And uh, he, was like, he was like, you don't want to play me one-on-one. I'm like, no, let's do it, let's do it. And he's like, okay. Then he beats me 11-1. And I'm like, this is, we got to do it. Check yeah. again, check again. <laughs> I got check next. Again. And then he beat me 11-3. Uh, and then that was, that, was, that, was my, that was the next guy that I was trying to catch up to. What made him so good? Super athletic, dumb athletic. That's huh. what I call it. Man-child. Don't come for no reason. 
I was dunking in grade seven <laughs> at five eight. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. What about the high school scene for you, basketball wise? My whole team was going to high school, and I wanted to play with most of my teammates, which they they all went to Grandin. So I decided, you know what, I'll I'll try to join them. Although I lived like an hour away from Grandin, I decided, you know what, I'll make the sacrifice for for basketball and all that. Um, I went to Grandin for like seven days, and I was like, man, I can't do this. It was just, it just wasn't my scene. It just wasn't my scene. So I decided to transfer back to uh, to St. Mary's thinking that maybe I'd be able to play seniors, right? Um, I thought I was pretty good. Most people were telling me I was pretty good, that I, I should be playing seniors. But the coaches there uh, thought differently. Uh, I don't know, can't really remember their reasoning, but they thought differently and I uh, accepted that role. Okay, I played juniors for a year. And then that year, I mean, I learned a lot. Uh, I'm not going to complain. I learned a lot that year. I had to had to be a leader of a team and... and, and uh, and when you play against your friends from CYDC, like, you know, like Grandin, which had seven, eight CYDC players, what do you need to do to win? And, and, and had, to, had to give um, your teammates confidence that, you know, they can play against these guys and not allowing them to be scared, right? Punching first so that they're like, oh, yeah, we can punch them, you know? So all those little things kind of learned that uh, throughout that year. Uh, and then we, I think we won like 20 and 1. We, we only lost one game, and it was in the finals against Grandin. And it was it was, it was devastating. The boys honestly. got you. Yeah, they got me, and I beat them the whole season too, like by twenty. Like, and I was like, "Yeah, we're gonna do it again. We're gonna do it again." But uh, lost that one, fall trouble. But uh, after that season, I, I realized I'm like, "Hey, um, I think I need something something new." And that's that's when I made the decision to go to Kentucky. Right. So let's talk about that. You go down to Kentucky, but why Kentucky even? Um, was there something down there specifically that attracted you to go down there? Yeah, um, so I, I kind of, one of the friends from CYDC went down and uh, knew someone, got a contact basically with someone in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, he basically contacted me also saying, hey, I, you know, I heard you're a good basketball player, you're looking for an opportunity, uh, I can make that happen for you. So I wanted to go. Talked to my parents about it. They weren't skept- they were very skeptical about it since I was like 15, right? Like, you know, allowing your kid that's 15 to go down to a stranger's like that's huge. It was yeah. crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but uh, luckily for me, at the same time, one of my my dad's basically nephews, my cousin, uh, basically won a, the lottery in in the Congo. So the lottery is basically. They pick people to go to the states to get their visa, to get the you know the green card and things. So he won that. So he was coming to the states, but he didn't have anyone to live with in the states, right? So then basically the situation became perfect for me. Like, hey, move in with your uncle, make his transition a little easier. But at the same time, now you can follow your basketball dream. So uh, me and him convinced my mom uh, and and my dad. And that's that's kind of, that's kind of how I ended up going down there. It's a little nerve wracking, maybe living with someone you've never lived with before, though. Either, even though he is family, mm-hmm. you don't know what it's going to be like. Uh, I've, I, I honestly, I've had never seen him before until until I seen him in DC. But it didn't matter because basketball was life. Yeah, ball is life for sure, <laughs> for sure. Now, now think about it right now. I probably wouldn't even let my son do that if I had a son, but. Um, you would not let him do it. Probably not. Not fifteen, and not, not in a 
you know, I probably would have went and probably checked the school, like probably dropped him off or something like that. But my parents didn't have that kind of money, so they only made enough that uh, for me to go down there. So they didn't even check the place before they sent me there. So that's kind of why it was kind of crazy. Just got to go off faith, you know? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> so you make your way down to Somerset, Kentucky, but I feel like the south of the United States is way different than even Canada. What was that transition like for you? Uh, honestly, I've, I've, at that point, I became a professional transitioner. <laughs> you know, moving school to school, city to city. I, I was, you know, I was like, ah, what's, what's next? What's next? So, um, obviously, down there, it's, it's super different. Um, there's still a little bit of racism. The English is different. And you got to remember, I only, I've only done one year of English by this time. Uh, of schooling and it wasn't even full English right at marriage it was uh, French and English so uh, you still had your French accent and everything I still had ev- everything everything and and to me like well to them I was like fresh off the boat basically like, huh. like hey uh, who are you like everybody would ask me who are you where am I from do we live in igloos like stupid questions <laughs> stupid questions but um, but like I said just being with family I think allow me to support like to to survive those questions and that transition uh because at the end of the day although i'd never met this person before in my life he's part of my family we have very much the same culture even you know what we eat how we talk and what we talked about i mean he wasn't that much older than me he was probably like you know eight ten years older than me okay so we kind of we we still had that um, that youth and, and and he he basically allowed me to really stay sane during that moment just because again the things they do down there I've never done you know fishing back horsing uh, four wheeling hunting hunting like the, even even man some people go to school with PJs I I've never seen that in my life I'm like you just woke up like what are you doing this is not a university <laughs> like coming coming to school with boots like. Like cowboy boots, uh, camo, you know, and then oh, the camo um, outfits. Yeah, yeah, camo outfits. Um, what else they do? Oh, and they chew tobacco. Like it's huge down there. It's huge, and yeah. like, and so everybody has a, like a water bottle. So I, I was wondering, like, what? Yo, but not it's for drinking. Empty. But it's not for drinking. This water bottle is empty. What are you doing? And then all I see is just ah, I can't even describe. It, it was crazy. It was it was totally a new world. What about the ball scene, though? Oh, amazing. Um, like, the culture thing was so opposite, right? Yeah, yeah. But the basketball thing was was basically what I had behind it. You know, here we have 200 people watching the game. There, it's like 5,000. Like, uh, here we have, blo- like, one blog about basketball. There, there's, like, 100 blogs about, like, players, rankings, and things like that. So... That that same bad would turn into good when it came to sports and basketball. Did you find that to be a distraction, though? Honestly, it was a motivation because okay. um, just just think about it. If you knew your games were filmed, yeah. you probably wouldn't slack off in some you know in every opportunity you get because you know that if you watch the film, coach would be like, "What were you doing here? What were you doing there?" Right. So it's the same thing there, but instead of being filmed, there's people watching, right? Mm. You don't want to be sleeping. Like people, everybody's watching. Cameras are out. Um, so you want to be performing at all time. So it's motivation of like when when you're in the gym, like yo, this shot my 
make me a hero or my make me hate, you know, hated by the whole school. So that's kind of how I looked at it. Really, the fans and the media was kind of like your accountability partner. Exactly. That's that's the best way to explain it right there. So you did two years first at Kentucky. Then you had a gap where you went to St. Louis Mm -hmm. for prep school. And then you finally went back to Kentucky. Why did you leave Kentucky? Uh, So by this point um, in Kentucky, I was was adopted by a family. So I had a host family, basically. And the guy I live with, like... Yeah, your nephew. Uh, what no, to my nephew left. He's he said he, I can't live in Kentucky. That's not oh. what I came to America for. <laughs> How long did he last then? How long? He lasted did he... like eleven months, a year, a year, I guess. Okay. Yeah. He decided, hey, man, I gotta live in a big city. That's what I came to America for, not not in this town. So he left. So when he left, uh, one of the families, Scott Scott Anderson, that's that's like my second father for like honestly, he he did so much for me. It really taught me a lot. Um, he he kind of took me in, and so it was me, him, and his two sons. Um, even up to, up until now, I text him every day, pretty much. And yeah, so I was with him, and then he super. He was super real. He was like, "Hey, listen, this this thing here, like, it's an opportunity. You have to take it." So I, I decided that it was it was best for me to go to San Luis Christian Academy. So he found the opportunity for you. Nah, someone else did. Uh, it's just things weren't working out too much at the high school. So again, you're on the move, but this time to St. Louis, a bigger city. Yeah, for sure. And maybe a little less, a little less backwards. Going to prep school, I lived at the at the school. I didn't really feel any of that that exterior stuff. It was, I, I was in pretty much a small world. Uh, the school, the church, and our gym, pretty much. Right. That's it. How was your experience at St. Louis for you, though? Oh my gosh, it was. It's tough. That's tough. Uh, it was a learning experience. That's uh, that's the best way I can explain it. Um, I want to start by saying you you should, as as a player, as a parent, you should definitely go check the school out first before you uh, you send your kid. Check where he's gonna live and and uh, and really check on him frequently because a lot of prep schools it's a business. They they just uh, they just want your kid, your money, and and they don't really, you know, sometimes take care of the kid. Although I just said that, I think the school I went to, um, they cared. They cared. They cared. I, I wouldn't. I don't know if I could say, you know, it was, it was fantastic, but they cared a little bit for 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 us. Uh, they they gave us a. We basically lived upstairs uh, of the school. Uh, had three four rooms uh, with with like six players in each room, bunk beds. We basically wake up, uh, go eat breakfast downstairs, you know, whatever breakfast we had, then go to class, eat lunch, uh, go to class, then have practice. But um, it was tough. It, and, and why I say it was tough is because they basically, lead, like, it, it's kids that are all in a house with pretty much very minimal supervision, right? So... There's a lot of things that 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 could go wrong, and a lot of things went wrong. You know, some some kids couldn't get money to get food and things like that, and and I don't know if if the school necessarily uh, they didn't necessarily think it was their responsibility to feed you after school was over. 
So we, we did some some kids did a lot of bad things. Like in our group, some of us did a lot of bad things just to get to get food, right? Um, um, it's almost survival mode. You know exactly. We're pretty much in survival mode. And 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 the crazy thing is, this these are the length that some kid went to for basketball, right? Like huh. it wasn't just oh, I'm just surviving. It was like they could have just decided to go back home. You know, and then that was an option. And then yeah, and then you'll be fine. But they didn't. They they believed that you know if I stayed here and and uh, you know maybe I have a chance to get a scholarship or to, to to make my dream come true. So it's 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 a tough decision. It's 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 a tough decision, and and sometimes it, it it's the wrong one. Hmm. Um, sometimes the wrong one. A, a lot of the guys I played with right now they, they don't play basketball, and they they blame it on. On that experience, got caught they, up they, in that, hey. They they blame it on on you know what like coaches being cutthroat, you know, um, uh, not having food, <laughs> you know, like they don't want to go through that again. Um, they blame it on having to steal to eat, not having a, an opportunity, right? They hard workers that they just never had the opportunity. So all those things were crazy. I mean. I'm telling you, it was crazy. We we drank a lot of water before going to sleep, so that you know you were full, or uh, or it was breakfast all day, pretty much. You know, you bought you bought a box of cereal and milk, and then you hope that every time you're hungry, that's what you eat. Like it was, it was it was crazy. And then not only that, but uh, I'd say even basketball wise, sometimes uh, the gym the gym got cold. Like it was the gym wasn't done yet. Uh, I'm sure now it probably is, but it wasn't done yet. So during winter, like there was there was no heat and that heat. So we have like pictures of us like having gloves on and having our our toque, like uh, sweatpants, a hoodie, and and then playing basketball with gloves on. And that's that's literally how we played basketball. Like, and and not even to bash anybody, but that's what happened. And and I'm sure now it's better, but that experience made us so much stronger. Just as a group, even right now, we're friends and we talk to each other. I just went to visit one of my boys from from prep school, like when I was in Germany. He came, like, took the train for three hours just to come see me for like three hours. That's incredible. So, like, the friendships you make from from those experiences are there's no worse for it. Because well, it felt like you went to war. Exactly. It, that's that's the best way to explain it. That's the best way to explain it. So, you keep in contact with those guys for sure. But yeah, those experiences, although. Some were bad, some were good, but the the experiences that we learned from there, uh, without them, I I wouldn't be here. I I, I would be I would probably give up so early, you know. Like that experience really made me tough and really made me realize that, you know, like I've never been on survival mode, right? Uh, my parents have been, but they always went to survival mode for me so that I didn't have to go through that. But when I went there. That's when I really realized that, like, hey, man, like, anything you get above this is is a blessing. And and that's one phrase that I always use, a blessing. Like, everything you get above this is a blessing. Because someone else right now is suffering. Was there any point in St. Louis where you were thinking, man, I could be home right now. Food would be on the table. I could just be balling out against some of my best friends that granted all that. <laughs> For sure. Um, it 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 for sure crossed my mind, but one thing like psychology wise, um, 
that we always talked about just as like the team there when we're just you know relaxing and and just reminiscing and just talking to each other was there's a psychology that comes with leaving your city and telling people hey I'm leaving to try to accomplish this goal and then coming back empty-handed um hmm. yeah yeah there's 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 that um embarrassment a little bit I think that's the best way to say it, right? Right, yeah. Because people are going to ask you, yo, what happened? What happened? Why are you back here? Why are you, why? So I think that's one of the psychology that played with us staying there as long as we did, right? My friend used to say, like, hey, I came here to go to the NBA. Like, I told all my friends I was going to the NBA. But now, like, I have to go back home and do construction. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like I yeah. suck, right? Like, I feel like I suck, right? Yeah. And, like, that's the same guy. Right now, he's playing pro in Germany. Like, he's, he's making money, you know? He still has a chance to go to the NBA. But at that low time, he was like, like man, basketball might not be for me. But at the same time, I'm, I still have to try because I told everybody back home, like, this is what I came here for. So that embarrassment of, like, coming back home empty-handed is is something that needs to be talked about, I think, for, for players. And, and sometimes you just have to make a decision of like, hey, it might be embarrassing, but it's it's for your survival. That's for it's for your benefit, you know. If you had some advice for someone who was going to prep school, I know you touched on a little bit of it of at least go check out the school mm-hmm. and check Most out its minimal. surroundings, yeah. all of it. <laughs> for someone who is already in that prep school experience, what's some advice that you could give that can help them navigate those waters once they're already in it? That's a good question. Um, if you're already in it, what what couple things that you need to, to just realize as a player is that your coach doesn't care about you necessarily. Like if you're if you're playing for him, it's it's a business, right? It's it's and you have to realize that you can't just be like, oh, he's like my parents now. No, he doesn't care about you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So don't don't be foolish about it, right? Like, if you play well, he's going to give you stuff. If you don't play well, he's probably not going to care about giving you stuff. That, and, and that's, it's nothing against them. That's just how the world works. Like, give me and give you, like, business relationship. It benefits you, benefits me. Let's do it. It benefits you, doesn't benefit me. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. It benefits me. It doesn't benefit you. If I can get you to do it, I'm going to do it, right? So, you just have to realize that, hey, He's got a job to do, which is win games, right? If you help him win games, like, he's going to be for you. Um, if you don't, it doesn't mean that you're not good enough. It doesn't mean that um, he hates you or anything like that. You just have to realize that, hey, there might be better players than me or there might be a better situation than me or the guy in front of me's parents might be giving more money. Like, there's, yep. there's, there's things happening, politics. A lot of things happen. Uh, so, But you have to take your future into your own hand and you have to – to make sure you get those those basketball clips, you know, if you're playing well, you got to you gotta make sure that you get the workouts in, you know. Just because you're not playing don't mean that, okay, now I'm going to sit down because anyways, I don't get playing time, so I'm just going to chill. Well, you know what? What happens if you have to transfer, right? So you really have to take care of your own self and your own future and make sure that you make your future a reality, but you do. Not count on someone else to do it. Um so yeah, I'd say for sure, like, like know where you want to go, know where you think you're gonna go, and you gotta have self awareness about it, right? You can't be like, "Hey, man, I'm 
four feet zero and I think I'm gonna go to Kentucky. Well, no, Kentucky's point guards are probably all gonna be six three or above, right? So you have to have some self awareness, but you gotta have goals. You gotta have goals, and then you gotta be like, you gotta have a plan of how you're gonna get there, and and plans that don't necessarily uh, depend on someone else. So was that the main reason you went down to the states? First off, was to get more exposure and position yourself better for your basketball career? For sure, for sure. I had goals to play Division One, and that was probably the best place to be to get that that scholarship for for a Division One opportunity. So. Uh, somebody sold me the dream and I had believed it. And honestly, it could have happened. It really could have, just like it didn't. But everything happens for a reason. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it didn't work out there and it worked mm. out here. So during that year at St. Louis, you had the opportunity to go back home. Yeah, so I uh, got a call from uh, Jackson, who was an assistant coach uh, at uh, UFC, and now I think he's at uh, McEwen. And uh, he just kind of asked me, hey, man, what are your plans? And uh, obviously things weren't going very well <laughs> at the prep school. So I was like, hey, man, I don't know. Like, we'll see. He's like, hey, just come come take a visit and just see if you're going to like it. So to me, it was a no-brainer. I mean, someone paying your trip back home to see your family while you're missing your family and, and things are not going right where you're at. It was a no-brainer, so I decided to come. Did a workout with them, played a little bit with the UFC guys. Uh, I thought they were cool, but yeah, there was there was a little feeling that was kind of missing of if like someone wants you bad, like why isn't he there, like things like that. So right, because coach wasn't there. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. So um, he just had the assistants there. Like Jackson was there. Yeah. yeah, and it was very weird too because they filmed the workout saying they're gonna send to coach, and I'm like. This is just weird. Like, we're, we're filming me doing a scrimmage. I just flew last night. Now I'm scrimmaging against college players, and the coach is not here, and then you're going to film me and then send it to coach, and then we're going to make a decision based on that. It was kind of weird, but they did what they had to do. Uh, and and honestly, if, if it wasn't for that visit, maybe I wouldn't even consider going to Dino. So at the same time, I think marketing, branding thing, that, oh, I came to Calgary, Calgary, UFC Dinos, oh, first choice, UFC. How would you evaluate that workout? Personally, I think it was a B. It was a B. I mean, um, I, wasn't, I wasn't ready to play JOJ, I think, at, at 17 years old. <laughs> I don't think I was ready for that. But um, they actually welcomed me very well. Like, the team, the guys were actually super great. So um, I really liked the environment, honestly. I did. Some athletes I talk to talk about going on a campus tour, experiencing that culture, getting around that team, and then they know when they get that quote-unquote feeling. Did you get that feeling? Nah. <laughs> nah. And honestly, just just like we talked about a little bit about that embarrassment thing, the feeling wasn't there because my, my mind was somewhere else throughout this whole the whole process. It was Division One, Division One, Division One. Nothing else. Eventually. Still back to the States. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. That's, that's all that was going through my mind. Huh. And honestly, if I probably just would have paid attention, it probably would have been a great opportunity for me to go there. Right. But my mind was just like, in Calgary, was just like, oh, let's see family, let's see my girlfriend, and then go back home. So, like you were saying, your mind was on Div 1, going back to the States. What was your playing hand looking like there in terms of options that you had available, where you wanted to go? What was out there for you? It was uh, what I call empty. 
<laughs> Just wait for a second. <laughs> Empty. Yeah. Empty. That's it. But um, no, nah, it was just weird because yeah, the Division One game is is like it's it's how would I call it? It's, it's like Tinder. It's oh, I like this school. The school tells you they like you. Uh, every, they they want you. You go visit all that, and then uh, unmatched. <laughs> Couldn't put any better. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. So how did you end up at Union College in Barberville, Kentucky? Uh, it's because um, one of the guys that I met when I first got to Kentucky had a connection with uh, the coach there. And they were looking for a point guard, the next point guard for them. So went to visit, liked it. Had a tryout? Uh, yeah. Yeah, went to visit the school. Uh, I didn't like the school itself, but I liked the team. The coach was, uh, is brilliant. He's smart like huh. he's super smart so i was like yeah let's let's do this i mean my plan anyways was like okay i don't have a division one right now but play one year there kill it and then maybe i can still transfer to division one how did that year go for you uh very up and down i mean started down playing behind this, this point guard barely playing uh then he got in trouble so then i started playing a little bit i started playing really well really well second semester coach brings in a division one transfer who's borderline like Kentucky he's just he was just not school you know he's just not smart at school so he came for uh, and took my so I started again from the bottom but him I could never I could I could never get ahead of. and honestly I couldn't even blame coach for playing him over me like I would play him over me myself mm. both 6-3 super fast so dumb athletic uh, very good feeling you know it was very good feel for the game and things like that so it was that happening but just being a small town kind of drove me crazy a little bit um coach was really it was, again a really smart coach but just people's skills is just i mean I, personally with me it was just it was just tough it was just very tough uh i don't think we clicked off the court too well and i didn't really like just just the weight right that that was and i just felt like oh even if i commit myself to him he might he might replace me the next year because mm -hmm. that's what he's doing to everybody else. And you've already learned through your prep school and other experiences can't that trust them. <laughs> loyalty is not there, right, for coaches. Or, exactly, can't yeah, trust yeah. them. So, so then that's when I decided, I was like, hey, I'm, you know, I, I talked to my teammates, the seniors that were going to leave. I'm like, hey, I don't think I'm coming back. And all of them just laughed because they were like, if you tell them that, make sure you have your transcript, make sure you have everything ready to go because he's going to try to, you know, screw you, basically, before you leave. And I'm like, nah, there's no way. Like, I'm a kid. I'm 18. He's going to understand. And, of course, when I went to talk to him, it didn't go too well. So this is what happened. So I basically went to him, talked to him, told him, hey, I don't think it works. And I, and I used academics, which, which was true. It's a small town, small school in a small town. That's right. If I want my MBA later on, it's, uh, you know, they're going to look, schools are going to look at where'd you go. So I, 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 and I knew that, you know, like I, I was a pretty smart kid and I knew that if, if, if I go to school, I got to go to a big school because, because that's where you make your contacts. University is where you make your contact. For sure not living in Barberville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was, that was not happening. Mm -hmm. So kind of told, that's kind of what I used. I didn't even use basketball as, as a reason. I just used right. academics. Life. Yeah. I just used academics. And then he basically said, I mean, I know you want to go Division One. It's not going to work out for you. You're not ready. 
I worked too hard to get you here. You're the highest paid. I guess you're an international at that point, yeah, right? Yeah, highest paid uh, scholarship uh, student. It, it, the only way I let you go is if you go back home. And then I was like, you know what? Like that's it's kind of stupid. But uh, my my teammates say that I could I could fight it. But to me, I took it as a, you know, like so many opportunities to go back home, and yet I would just keep saying no. Division one, division one, division one. And yeah. I think that was the, when I just realized I'm like, let's make the mature decision. I was trying to think why was I not coming back home? Why? And it was just like I had that division one implemented in my head, but yet there was no letters coming in from a division one school, you know. And then someone home wanted me, you know, Calgary the UFC right. wanted me, things like that. So well, they were knocking on the back door, you know, but you were just were. looking through the front exactly, window. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. so that happened, but. Uh, I called the uh, one of a friend that I I knew who got who got the head coaching job. Well, I guess we were just talking, and then he's like, "Hey, I just got a head coaching job at Utah Valley." Uh, I'm like, "Oh, really? Do you have any room for another player?" And he said, uh, "Yeah, I do, uh, but it won't, you won't be in the, on a full scholarship." So then I'm like, "Oh, sheesh!" Because tuition where I was at was thirty thousand a year. At Union College. At Union College. Okay. A year. Utah so, Valley? Utah. So, I, so I'm like, so what would be the scholarship? What would, be, what would I have to pay? So he's like, hey, let me make the numbers. I'll call you back. So I'm like, okay. So he calls me back. I'm like, okay, I got to figure it out. So for your boarding and your food and all that, it'll be $2,000. I said, 2000 US? He's like, yeah, 2000 US. For the year? Uh, for the semester? No, for the year. I said, all right, I'm coming. <laughs> That's easy. I'm coming. So then he's like, okay. And then next thing you know, I'm, I try to call him. I try to text him. No answer. Just like I told you, unmatched. <laughs> so he just, dis- he just ghosted he you. He just ghosted. Ghosted. But I realized that was because as, as a coach, you have to call the, the, your, your players that you're trying to recruit coach to tell them that you're talking to his player. Uh, or that's an NCAA violation. Right. So he had to make that call to, to your make coach. That call to my coach, and then I guess something was being said, huh. and then never, never, never heard back from him. So no response at Utah Valley, and that was the closest you come to getting that <laughs> Div One dream. <laughs> fin- finally, do you <laughs> unmatch? That's great. <laughs> so then, finally, do you turn around and open up that? back door that the dinos are just knocking at yeah yeah i made a mature decision of maybe i was looking through the wrong window so set to come back home and uh give calgary a chance but before that i tried to go mru and then uh the coach said they didn't have any room and, and ufc said we don't have room but you should come and we'll, we can figure something out and to me that was enough you're entering your second year of eligibility for college and now you're back home. Your family's here, everything. What was the team composition like and the scenario for you? How many guards were there that you were that you had to battle for a, a spot? <laughs> so when I came back, most teams have made their teams. You know, I have, I have recruited, I've done recruiting by the time I came back, which was in, during the summer, right? So when I try to ask coach, do you have room? And he's like, mm, we already have four point guards, but you should come and we'll, we'll, we'll see. Right, because I mean, he knew a little bit about me, uh, and then his assistant uh, knew about me. He watched me play. He watched me play at Talisman and all that. So they had a discussion, uh, from what I heard, and and they decided, hey, 
let's just give him a shot. Like, I've, we have nothing to lose. Worst case scenario, tell him we already have four point guards. Sorry, we can't have you on the team. So, but in my eyes, I knew the point guards that were in front of me. And then my teammates knew, like, my friends knew the point guards that were in front of me. They were like, you're better than them. So, hmm. in my eyes, I came in and, and, and felt like, look, if I just played how I play, coach should see that and I should have an opportunity. As as soon, as soon as I get an opportunity, I'll take care of business, right? So, but you had to make the most of practices, even then. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough knowing, like practicing hard, knowing that you're probably not gonna touch the floor. So unless does, unless everybody gets hurt, <laughs> right? Of course, yeah. yeah. So the dream happened for you, not in terms of people getting hurt, but all the guards in front of you got injured to some degree, and all of a sudden you found yourself on the floor year one. With your with the dinos, yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. I mean, so three point guards ahead of me, uh, one quits after the first first uh, preseason game. The uh, next one gets hurt during uh, the Calgary Cup. So then it's just me and uh, and and uh, this other one, Corey. But Corey can't play forty minutes, so I knew that game I was gonna get some minutes at least, and and I knew that I just you know I had to get ready just to be prepared mentally. To, uh, to really take care of the opportunity that I'm going to get. So, Corey plays, gets in foul trouble, then I'm the only one standing, right? And and then my stats that game were were super good. I think I had, it was something like 12 points, like six steals, and like seven assists, something like that. And then I, and I played super well and pretty much won the game at the end of the, of, of the fourth quarter. So... I just remember coach kind of looking, looking around, being like, "Wow!" And then coming in though, did you have a lot of pressure though on yourself, or did you have zero at all? Because you're like, whatever happens, happens. I'm I'm very different when it comes to things like that. I mean, my year at Union College taught me so much about just coming off the bench, just being prepared, and just being blank. You know, just go and do something. Don't don't have expectations in front of you. Like, they should be here. They should be there. Just go and be like, oh, this is here and this is there, you know. So that mindset of mine really helped me, especially through this process of, oh, I'm not playing again. I'm not playing. But at the same time, the expectation in your head, right, is if you were like, oh, I'm going to play, I'm going to play, and then someone tells you, yo, you're not playing, that hurts, right? But mine was just like, I'm just waiting for my opportunity. Instead of being like, I'm going to play today. It was like. It's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be today, tomorrow, next month, in a year. It's going to happen. Just be ready. So that mentality really prepared me for, for that situation. Well, and even when you weren't playing, what was your mindset in terms of how can I best support the team or how can I best serve the team? Um, that's a good question. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't feel like I could really help the team and, and like outside of cheering. Honestly, I felt like I was someone in the stands. I mean, I warmed up with the team, but then after that, it was just you hey, might as well be guys. a fan. Yeah, I might might as well be a fan. But huh. at the same time, to me, you kind of have to have that that mentality of everyone is wrong but you, so that you can keep confidence in yourself. Because because if you start saying, "Man, I'm not playing because I suck," dang, I the, should be the playing. negative talk. You yeah, know, if you yeah, start talk, yeah. like, if you start thinking like that, then they then they, he puts you in on the court, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm not ready." Like. You know what I mean? But you low-key push yourself in in that situation of living in in the moment where you, you're playing, you're good. 
you're already playing right yeah in your mind in your mind you're already you already are starting you're so putting that basically that vision in front and living in that vision allows you to once the vision becomes reality you're already in the moment you're like i've been i've been looking at this the whole time anyways so now i'm here instead of you know looking down like oh i think i suck i think i suck and then have to look up that that change of mindset it's it's tough to do even before the game starts you need to visualize that for sure because that moment could come at any point for sure and that's what happened for you too exactly and i was ready you basically hang on to that starting point guard position all the way through what did you do to get better so that that spot was not taken from you so that's actually a very good question um one thing that I think it, it helps so much in high-level basketball, that's counting college, university, pros, is the analytics of it. I think being able to look at a sheet of paper and the sheet telling you, you suck at shooting or you, sh- you suck at going left, right, due to the analytics that they, they, they have been taken, it's very easy now to understand that, all right, these are the things I'm bad at. This is what the sheet says. This is what I'm bad at. Let's fix this this year. Let's fix that next year. And and kind of have a plan, a three-year plan, two-year plan, right? So my first year didn't shoot very well. So I'm not, you know what? Shooting is next. So the next year, I'm top five in the country in 3.3 percentage. So then I'm like, okay, shooting is getting better. Okay, great. Now... Turnovers. I gotta bring them down a little bit. Assist a little bit up. So to now make better decision making, right? And then this year I'm I'm really working on just being able to change speed, not having to force things, and and really really take the right shot every single time and make the shot. Like like just that, that efficiency factor. That's really what I'm focused on for this year. So. Again, like I said, sheets, the analytics really allow you to to really work and persevere each year and work on, you know, work on this, work on that, work on this. So that's kind of how I think um, I allowed myself to keep that spot. Not only that, but just the, the growth and leadership that I had through the experiences, right, against first year against Ryerson in the finals, then playing Carlton, um, then playing Carlton again, playing Ryerson again in the finals last year. So... All those experiences really allowed me and and my and and my team really allowed me to be trusted by my team basically hmm. and 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 as a coach coaches see that and they, they don't want to alienate the person that keeps the team as as a glue you know what i mean mm-hmm. so as a, as a coach it, it's hard to tell the leader of your team get on the bench you know like i think i play my cards right i want to talk a bit about that leadership piece when did you start recognizing that was an area that you wanted to grow in and that you wanted to elevate as a leader with the dinos? I think first it comes from um, the discussion that I've had with with my uh, adopted dad in, uh, in Kentucky. Uh, he's Mr. A business- Anderson. Yeah, Mr. Anderson, exactly. He's, uh, he's a business owner. So he, uh, we, we always had talks about how to lead people and uh, being, just, just doing the right thing, right? doing the right thing and and the psychology again of 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 human mindsets and and what ticks people what makes them motivate what motivates them and and things like that and i always find those uh, fascinating but with the dinos i think 
and, and this is something that players have to 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 know sometimes is that leaders are picked by the group and and not necessarily uh, I'm not going to be the, I'm the leader right I, and I with the dinos I think that's what happened they pick me to be the leader as someone that is very uh, I'm humble and I I see things with the optimism you know I'm very optimistic uh, I see things with the light in them right um so when they saw when when they saw those characteristics in me uh they really glued themselves to to that right because a lot of them you know things go wrong they're like man like down on themselves things like that right and then i'm i'm always the guy that's like man hey, shut up man let's go what are you doing mm-hmm. like, we got we got to go we got something else to do we got an next play we, we got, got places to play. yeah bro yeah. what are you doing and, and and they gained so much respect, right? Because not only I was doing that, but I'm good on the court. So then you listen to someone like that, right? Like if if I was the last man on the bench and told someone, yo, let's go, let's go, like someone that's a starter, the message might go through, but might not, you know? Yeah, but doesn't carry as much the, weight. Exactly. But as someone that's like, hey, he's starting and he's like, he's doing good things, he's scoring for us and all that. Him telling me that, I'll, I'll listen, right? And and the job is funny. I'm not gonna say it gets easier, but people that come transfers and rookies, they automatically accept you as a leader, hmm. right? Since since they are new here, they're like, okay, who's the leader? And oh, he's the leader. All right. So what do I do now, right? But the first year, I was new to the team, so I kind of had to earn that thing, right? All the little things that I did was being was being looked at, was being judged by my teammates. But uh, after that first year, it was a little bit easier. Do you feel any pressure at all to make sure that your game is consistent on the court as a leader? Yeah. You do, hey? So much. Yeah. So yeah. much pressure. So so much. Because huh. honestly, let's just say you have a bad shooting night. It's easy to get frustrated. Yeah. You know, missing yeah. threes, missing layups. It's very easy to get frustrated. Yeah. And once you do that, how can you lead someone else? How can you tell him, yo, don't worry about your shot, man. You're good. Next one, when yourself, you're like, I can't buy you're a break, bucket. You're breaking everything. <laughs> you, can't, yeah. you can't buy a bucket. Yeah, you don't talk to me. You make your shot first. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Where else would you like to elevate in that area? So basically, this this year, I've tried to be more of a leader off the court. To me, I always took the role of just being a leader on the court and like during trips and things like that, you know, little things. But um, I never thought about being a leader at, you know, school you know leading leading the, my teammates you know, make sure you do your homework and like things like that those to me those are it, it was almost trivial to me yeah right that's but, like a mom thing to do exactly right, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. so and I, I didn't and that's one thing that i think i did very well is, is my voice was not heard too often until it was needed right so then so then people when they heard it they knew like oh shoot like something's happening like you know like i don't i, I usually don't even swear but like when things get to like a point when when they hear the f word off of me like out of me they're like okay 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 we'll, you know he's, we're he's we're messing real. up yeah. we're messing yeah, up yeah, right yeah. now yeah. right so that was how I took it before and then I've been asked to take a little bit more of an off the court leadership role which I, I really struggle with I, I struggle being the mom I struggle because because I think the effectiveness of me being the leader on on the court is because I'm it's my voice is heard you know 
just a few times throughout the week, you know, uh, that, that once you hear it, it's hard to block it. But coach, coach is demanding that, you know, yeah. that, that leadership, that culture. We had to create that culture. So last year was easy because we had Connor Foreman take, be that leader. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah. He, was, he was that leader for, yeah. for that stuff. This year. There's no Connor Foreman. There's no Connor Foreman. And I don't know if David Kapinga is, <laughs> but, but yeah. So that's that's the next that's the next step for me. So this past season was pretty special for you guys as a team and also personally as well. Winning the first national championship in school history, that's a big deal. How would you sum up last season in one word? Wow, one word, eh? Um, blessed. That's the word. Obviously, going into that year, the expectation was national championships, and was that the case for you guys? Um, yeah, I, I think I think every coach should be, you know, should be saying, "Hey, like our goal is to win a national championship." Because uh, honestly, you never know. Like, you could be the worst team in in the nation, and every good team gets someone hurt, and then everybody's the same now. You know, so. You should definitely, uh, we definitely had a goal of winning uh, the national championship. But um, but it was, it was just weird because people around us, even our alumni, were, were a little doubtful of that. Uh, losing Thomas Cooper, was, you know, who's a big scoring piece uh, for us. And then just us being super small. I mean, Lars was our, was our center, right? He was the five. He was the five. So um, there was a lot of doubt outside but one thing that and and that the team that we had had last year was that we didn't care what others think we we were in our own bubble the whole time ever 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 since july pretty much when we started practices it was just us against the world and and that that's that's what really made us a team and i feel like you touched on that earlier it was all about you know you got to say, screw the world. You got to, that, that's your inner motivation. Mm-hmm. Were you preaching that on a week to week basis to your team? Um, on a low key. <laughs> <laughs> on a low key. Subtle text here it's, and there, uh, a little Snapchat. For sure. Um, I'm not someone that thinks necessarily, you know, uh, that that's, that's, that's a motivation. But one thing that I knew, right, was that the team we had, we had hoopers. Like, we had we had hoopers. We had a heart. It, like practices were crazy hard last year. After playing Carlton, we just knew the level we needed to be at to win, right? I wouldn't see my own eyes, and most of the team did. So, so we knew that every day of practice, we we put a score every day of practice, so that you knew if you're a loser. We weren't scared to cut. You're you lost today, you know, and you won today. And losers had punishments. So. We really emphasize that feeling of like, man, I don't want to lose. I don't mm. want to lose. What what can I do today to not lose today? You know, and and one of the phrases, actually, funny thing, one of the phrases that we we have uh, after we meet in the in the middle before practice is win the day. We just that's all it was about. How do I win today? Every single time, and that started. July, June, like we were practicing since June. Literally fist fights at practices, coaches, and and it was it was Intense, that was the eh? first year that I was like, my gosh, I'm in America right now, and and 
and paid off. That's that's what it took. Who is it that usually set the tone for the practices and the intensity that it reached? I would say a coach, Dan. Yeah. Dan definitely does a really good job of coming in and, and making sure that things start right off the bat, you know. He was really smart because he he started practices with with a competitive drill. So we 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 always have two teams, and we just practice. We start practice with uh, whatever is competitive, whether it's a NBA Heat, whatever it is, and losers run. And right there and then, everybody knew it was like he made me run. I gotta make him run next. Next drill, I'm winning this, so he runs. So that. That kind of hunger, like mm-hmm. that energy, right? It yeah. was it was great. So coach did a really good job with that. And then one guy that's really good also with that as a player is Lucas Manis. He's he's huge. He's huge. He, he he's a little crazy, I think, but but that little craziness is needed. He's he's a Draymond yeah. of the team, right? That's right. Yeah. He's, he's he's he and and when things are not good, things are going slow, he's always the guy that's like, what are we doing? You know, like like dives on the floor and then and once you see him dive on the floor you're like dang I'm, I'm being lazy right now and then you wake up so he's definitely our energy guy and he's like year. that in the games too yeah yeah he's crazy <laughs> that's my guy though much love can you give an example of one of the punishments from last season it's all, it was all about running it was all running so even even when me and lucas had individual you know whoever lost whoever lost a shooting game whatever time push up just something as subtle as that you you connect losing to a punishment, so then you're like, hey, let's win. <laughs> I don't want to be punished. Let's win, right? We've done enough push-ups today. So exactly. Yeah. So, um, and and not only that, but you see your friend chilling, laughing at you while you're doing your running or your push-up. Then you're like, I gotta make you do that too. Absolutely. And that's that was that was what our team was based on last year. That's like salt in the wound when someone's <laughs> laughing at you when you're running, doing yeah. suicides or whatever. Like, right? Okay, keep laughing. Keep laughing. <laughs> when did you feel that you guys were going to make a serious run at a championship? That's a great question. We we could say after we won Canada West, but that's you you already guaranteed to go nationals, right? That doesn't um, mean you're going to win nationals, but when did that? Okay, I see, okay, I see what you're okay. I think after we won against Brock. After we won against Brock, the whole team was like we're going to the finals and we have a very good chance of winning. And Brock was our first game. We had we knew we had McGill the next game. It's very bad to say, but in our head, we we knew we're like, okay, McGill is very beatable, very much beatable. Brock, we're like, we lost to them at the beginning of the year, right? Very tough team, very very much grit, right? So we're like, okay, I mean, this is gonna be a battle. Like we didn't know if we we're gonna survive that one. We survived that one. We're like, okay, we're going to the finals. Um, I remember me and Mom be saying, tomorrow McGill can play defense. But we can outscore them, right? And that's exactly what we did. Won the game by, I think, 20, 30. But when we're watching McGill, like, uh, when we're prepping for McGill, we're also watching and prepping for the next game, which is was going to be Carlton or Ryerson. And it turned out to be Ryerson. Secretly, who were you rooting for to face in the final? Carlton. We won, we won the Carlton because they beat us the last year, the last two years. Uh, you want that revenge game? Yeah, it was a revenge for sure. We were all ready. One of the first days of practices, coach wrote the score from the last game, which we lost to Carlton. Take me through that Ryerson game. What was the intensity like? What was the atmosphere like? Was there a whole other level of pressure even 
because it was such a big stage? I think so. Yeah. Um, I I didn't really feel the pressure myself, but I knew some guys on my on our team were very very much. I'm not gonna say stressed, but we're very anxious. Very much. Um, a lot of the guys on our team, like we've lost a lot. I've lost a lot in the finals, or you know, not even they even get to finals. So a lot of them were were kind of looking at me, and be like 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 guide us to the promised land. I've never won. What do I have to do to win? Because obviously what I've done my whole life is not working because I haven't won. So a lot of those guys kind of looked at me. And, and me, I've won I've won a few championships and, and things like that. I was just like, just follow me. And, and I remember saying before the game, just follow me and we'll win. And and that game, I was, I was I'm not going to say extra focused because before games, I, you know, don't even have my headphones in. I'm just talking, just making jokes, whatever. But I came out with, with a different kind of aggression, uh, shooting-wise, because I knew that the other guys were a little, like I said, with with my team at Mary's, right? Yep. When you play better teams and and your guys are a little shook, a little you know anxious, you 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 gotta punch the other team first, personally. You know, you got you gotta take it personally to punch the other team first. So that your other teammates are like, oh, okay, they're not invincible. Like we can punch them too, and then they join you, right? So Lars did a great job uh, for us to do that, uh, starting with the eleven zero run by himself. Like, and then and then after that, everybody else was like, shoot, let's, let's play now. It's, easy. <laughs> it's basketball now. <laughs> We're yeah. up ten now. We yeah. can play, right? Lars kind of took the edge off a little bit, hey? Yeah, he did. He did. Or a lot. Yeah, a lot, a lot. So Manny Duressa took off in that second half, and you could see he was in the zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was was there at some point where you're like, "This guy's unguardable right now"? I don't know. That's what I, that's not what we really said. I think I mean, we're talking to each other and all that uh, a little bit. And uh, what I was telling me, Johnny, Max, and and Mombi, what we, we were kind of saying was, he's working really hard for his shots, which is yeah. all we can ask for. If a, if a guy is going to, you know, take 500 dribbles and shoot a pull-up and makes it, 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 it hurts, but it's like that's that's all you can ask for. And that's that's a great mentality that Matt's getting inserted in us of make them take tough shots. That's your job. Finish with the rebound, obviously, yeah. but make them take tough shots. Um, good players make good shots, right? Great shots. So he, he started getting – he got going. and But the cool thing about it is although he was getting going – they weren't really stopping us on the other side, right? So that's why I wasn't stressed personally because we were getting good shots. Every single time down the floor, we were getting a good shot. Getting a shot and making it, missing it, whatever it is, we're getting a good shot. They, on the other hand, had to work so hard, so hard to make a shot. Uh, JV made that uh, bank shot uh, buzzer three. Yeah, that's uh, right. When he yeah. faked, uh, Mombi kind of jumped and Nick through it you know it was it was very tough for them to score right yeah so that's just from you know all the games we played throughout the year the losses and all that and and the tough skin that we had through our practices and you know winning and losing scenarios that coach put us in right they did a great job with that and and like we said those scenarios that we practice like they became reality and and if you watch us after Manny made that three to tie the game none of us were like and we lost. None of us. Everybody was just like, all right, timeout. Let's go. Like, next play. So coming out of that timeout, 
Did you guys actually execute what was drawn up? Uh, coach forgot forgot a cut. You <laughs> <laughs> forgot a cut. Um, but good thing that uh, I remembered remember to play that because uh, the play came from uh, when we played Team Canada. Okay. So I remembered what uh, Lucas. So you knew. Yeah, I knew yes. what Lucas was supposed to do. Yes. Um. So when Lucas at the wrong spot, he's looking at me like you can watch. He's looking at me like this, and I'm like, move, move, and he cuts, and then Mumby's going through the the double screen, gets the ball, and just the ocean opens up for him, and and uh, what's his name? Philip Philip made the decision to go guard Lars instead of stopping the layup. At what point in that whole sequence did you know Mumby was gonna put it in? When he took his two long strides. When Mombi takes his two long strides, I knew, honestly, I didn't know if he was going to make the layup, but I knew he was going to make the right play. Because I think that if thing Phillip, hung in the air, too, in the rim, right? If Philip would have stayed, I think he would have passed it to Lars for a three. Huh. But Philip stunned it and went back to Lars for the three. And, and funny thing, me and Mombi worked on left-hand layups a day prior to that uh, while we were waiting for taxis. He was huh. just there, just shoot with his left hand. He's like, man, I've never done a really left hand layup in a game. I'm like, what, man? Get, get on it. Let's go. Let's work on that. So we worked on that for like 10 minutes. And sure enough, <laughs> left hand layup. What's your best Mombi story that best encapsulates who he is? Mombi is different. Um, let's see. I think a story that I tell everyone to know really who Mombi is, is is this the timeout story. Um during nationals. So after, after Manny hit the shot to tie the game, co- coach calls timeout. We get in a huddle, and, and coaches are discussing, you know, what, what, what are we supposed to do, what are we going to do. And uh, uh, I'm getting my drink and all that. And, and I see everyone, all our, our teammates are standing up, right? We're sitting down, they're standing up. They're all like, like you know, like that little stress, that nervous, like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. So... They all have that feeling, and then Mombi realizes that, and is like, "Give me the, give me the ball. We're winning this game. When, give me the effing ball. We're winning this game." <laughs> and, and and honestly, we we talk about it, and obviously he finished it, right? We talk about it, me and him all the time, because he said he just said that because he was nervous, and <laughs> I didn't want anyone being ner- more nervous than him. He he was saying that I, I didn't really mean it like that, but. I just I just saw that everybody was a little bit down, so I kind of wanted to get morale. Uh, that's, he's going that's the other way. Is. Yeah, he was going the other way. That's that's who he is. He's he's a guy that that's different. Like when everybody's stressed, he's like 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 just give me the ball, man. We're we're good. We'll we'll finish this game. And and I'm just happy that our team put him in a position to make that shot because honestly, that's a shot that will change his life because. He's one of the guys that came to me and was like, yo, I've never really won. Like, I've never won anything. I don't, like, I don't know how to win. Like, and I told him, just just follow me. And, like, just follow me. We'll, we'll make you a winner. Like, that's why you came here. Same thing I t- told Lucas. You came here for a national championship. We, like, we're going to get you that. And and after that shot, he's he's changed just his swagger and and everything. I, I honestly feel like if, even when he goes to play pro, he's – He's gonna win a lot, a lot of games for a team, just just because of that layup, that confidence booster. Coming off that national championship, what sort of expectations and standards have you put for yourself, and also even for the team, 
I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm someone that's very much uh, in the moment. And, and the expectation that we have is as simple as winning the day, right? It's still the same model that we had last year of how do I win today? How do I get better today? Because we believe that from where we started, you know, as national champions, and, and as early as we started lifting, which was in May, I mean, we really, really barely took two weeks, three weeks off. If we can get better every day, we don't think another school and the nation can beat us. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Story Island today, David. It was a pleasure hearing your story. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reading the Play. For more content, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and you can also download other episodes at sportcalgary.ca. Be sure to check out the Facebook page Reading the Play and to stay up to date on the latest RTP news, including new episodes. Be sure to follow on Instagram at Reading the Play and myself, Jeremy Lee, at Legacy. Be sure to toss a follow for the Walk On DOC on Instagram as well. I really hope there is a piece of David's story that impacts, inspires, and ignites you, and as the dinos say, to help you win your day. And as always, I'll catch you in the next episode.